Welcome to the Cinephile History Fit Podcast, the tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. I'm William Johnson. We're damn glad to have you, folks. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we have a guest, a very tolerant guest. It is Mitch Proctor, the man of Ruminations Radio Network, who sits through our needlessly horrible recordings and edits them down to the beautiful finished products that you hear every day. He has come here to us to recommend the movie The Crow from 1994. Our format is this. The recommending lover goes first, and I'm pretty sure we're going to give Mitch the red carpet to go first. They get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater, and I want to see who it's going to be in this room, follows with five uninterrupted uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of scorched intellectual, or, well, I'm sorry here, with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. Good luck editing that, Mitch. (laughs) After that, we open it up for 15, but I bet it's going to be 20 to 30 minutes of shared conversation where they hissy fit really gets chippy we hope you got your judges scorecard the crow wins and will loses but folks in the meantime we still have to battle it out so let's go ladies and gentlemen we would love to welcome to the cinephile history fit mitch proctor mitch how you doing i'm doing great man thank you so much for having me thanks for uh you know going with this selection right you're, you're kind of the boss i mean to I, I, choice, I know, right yeah you say jump we say how high and okay. here we are you know right <laughs> i'm really excited a little bit intimidated though you know being oh. right here with a couple of you know uh genuine film guys and i'm oh. just a little old fan here so That's okay you'll well have here to forgive me I, I will sound like the movie brown sugar i will put my sanaa lathan head on and say mitch when did you fall in love with movies and how so Oh really? Yeah. because uh, you're here. Make, you're make, it, make it make it quick because it, it, we don't have like another podcast where we can just have the the guest talk oh. for forty minutes at a time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know. I fell in love with movies from the time I was a small kid. I've I've always loved movies. I loved watching, and I don't know where I would have seen these things, but I used to watch a lot of behind the scenes how they do that kind of films. I mean, or, or maybe it was on TV. But I loved watching that kind of stuff. I loved the creation of the film. My mother always thought I was going to grow up to be, uh, you know, work behind the scenes and do special effects or something. Because I love that stuff. I I love where it comes from. Um, So I've always loved film. My first love, though, is music. And uh, Mm. I went to school for uh, composition. I wanted to write music for movies. Okay. okay. What is your, um, what would you say your... um... So you wanted to write so film scores? Is that what it comes? Yeah. To, is that like the fancy way of saying film scores? Film scores. Finishing? Well, I mean, I was a, a rock kid, so I mean, yeah. rock band would have been first choice. Film scores sure. was the fallback. You could <laughs> do both. You could do both. But what would you say was because you like music, and obviously film plays into that in terms of like you wanted to do composition for films. Uh, you don't have to give me the number one because I know that's hard because there's so many different types Ooh. of style of film scores. But what would you say were some of your inspirational film scores that got you into wanting to do like film composition? Great question. I think, I mean, it, uh, for some of my generation, it, it has to be 
John Williams. Mm -hmm. But later in life, I have to say that I'm not a big fan. Like obviously as a kid, that stuff really, really got me going. But as time has gone on, uh, I can't say that I really am still following his work and really love it. What, so who who would you say i mean who who are you into now or who has taken the the cake for you instead of williams uh you know it's it i hate to be kind of of the moment but resner and atticus Ooh. they just do fine such choice amazing stuff uh mm. so and then i don't want to spoil what's upcoming but i'd have to say Grammarville. Oh, mm, you know, that, that kind of does segue us into the movie of the moment. And that is 1994's Alex Proyas. I don't I'm pretty sure I'm saying it wrong. Alex Proyas's dark fantasy comic book adaptation of Alex Obar's The Crow. And we come to this with the same format we presented before. I guess we should keep things tight and give the five minute timer floor to our guests first. Oh God. I know. Right. <laughs> so hold on. Let me get the clock ready here. Cause it's, it, this shit is serious here. All right. Mitch five minutes, open us up and present the wonderful love you have of the crow. Okay. So first things first, let's get some vocabulary out of the way, which is really funny because we just got finished chatting about favorites versus best. Mm-hmm. And the, the, do I think that the crow is the best film of all time or the best film I've ever seen? No, but you know, how do we really quantify art anyway? So I'm going to start my five minutes with this just to prep you guys. The crow is however, my favorite film of all time. I love this movie. It is my favorite film. Not everyone know. can like Blade Runner 2049 for Blade Runner, so <laughs> you're good, you're good, you're good. Um, but like all tastes and preference come from somewhere, right? So for me, I have to tell the little story real quick of how I, I was a junior in high school in the spring that this film came out. You know, this moody, gothy little metal teen who loved the comic book and heard that this film was going to happen. And uh, I I didn't get a chance to see it because I was living in a little small town. And so that fall, my buddies and my girlfriend, they all got together and bought me the VHS and I, they had a little secret surprise party for me to watch the crow. So already the stage is set for this to be my favorite movie of all time. And from the very moment that the film begins, the, the, the brass, the, per, the percussion that's going on that brings us into the film just right off the bat. That's great. The voiceover that the little girl is giving sets up the mythos like immediately. So, you know, you're kind of in for something uh, that is not just uh, rooted in reality. Um, I love the colors, the tones. When I say the colors, it's almost like really the, 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 the absence of color. It looks like they painted an entire city black. And I love that. Obviously, love black. <laughs> so that was just gorgeous. And um, the characters in the film are just so real. From the guy who's serving the hot dogs to Officer Albrecht. They're just these real guys, these real things in this film that's about something that is completely unreal, something that we've, we can't even quite imagine. So first of all, super romantic. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. get any more romantic. You're coming back from the dead to avenge your killed loved one. This, the whole idea just really rang true for me. Um, I love love. You know, I'm not going to make any apologies for it. I love like romantic comedies. I enjoy those things, but I, you know, got with a little dark metal guy still, 
<laughs> so so it was like, wow, this is great. Real love is forever. I love the ring. I even bought the little ring. I was just like, it's just a wonderful experience for me to watch that movie. And I watch it many times over the course of even one year. I will always watch it in October. Um, it's endlessly quotable to me. Like I think only next to maybe something like Lebowski is something as mm. quotable as The Crow. Um, the soundtrack, aside from just the score, really encapsulates everything that's going on in the world at the time. Even though the the comic really took place in the 80s and was kind of leaning more heavily on like Joy Division, The, the Cure, the, the modern soundtrack still really hit all the right notes. Um, I, the villains are great. Uh, I thought that Tintin was really, 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 really good. And the fights are so brutal and, and they're violent. When Eric Draven, when uh, Brandon Lee is fighting and acting as this kind of demon come back from the dead, the hero, he's enjoying it. He's, he's, he embraces the vengeance side of it. It's not just like this guy who's getting his revenge. He's also enjoying it. And I love revenge. I love revenge films. I, I guess maybe I don't love revenge. I love justice. So I love that, that aspect of the movie. Um, it, it means a lot to me, that film, the idea that love can kind of triumph overall. And, um, I know that I'm, I don't think that I'm really hitting the points enough for your film critic audience, but no, no, no. <laughs> <I'm doing fine. laughs> uh, the, the fact that every little motion, the moves of Draven as he goes like through the course of the film really uh communicate that 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 longing that loss until the moment he lies down on the grave at the end uh and we we kind of come full circle it's just i i can't think of a, a better way to do it i love that movie that's that's it that's all i got <laughs> right Whoa. at five minutes perfectly done my friend good job all right no uh Sure, let me reload the five minutes. I have to come into this as the second lover because the hater goes last. So, Mitch, you did just fine. Sounding like a film critic and stepping up to the film critic stage because the things you speak on are absolutely wondrous, unique, and just gripping, no matter how dark, muted, and rainy they are. The atmosphere of this movie. This movie was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, not anywhere near Detroit. And you would you would never know because, like you said, they painted this city black and, and did these hovering camera shops. This is a cinematography standpoint. This is Darius Wolski, who would go on to be Ridley Scott's kind of right-hand man over the last decade. And it's it's just shot so just in your face and in a fluid way. And I'm with you. What I love about this movie is is pure romance and and just that that romantic longing that bring brings a guy back from the dead to go be a wraith against crime and punishment. And that is that's a thing that has a wonderfully small scale compared to what we think of as comic book films and superhero films, because you know, nine times out of ten movies of this particular genre feel like they have to save the whole damn city or save the whole world and have mythos and pathos that are just large and huge enough that the public has to see this, the public has to see that, and they need to be embraced and championed and all that. This movie is just a dude coming back from the dead to avenge his girl. 
And if the only witnesses to that are, are a skateboarding little girl and a wounded cop, that's it. None of this is for headlines. None of this is for improving the city. It's just this singular quest. And I dig that. It is. There's power to that. There's power to the laser focus that this film has, or at least this hero has, to met out the violence that he does and, and correct the wrongs that are out there. And because if this was a different kind of superhero movie, the media would link on and be like, there's a vigilante in Detroit killing all these <laughs> different people. We should love this guy because he's killing scumbags. No, it is just between him and the vendettas that got him to the grave. And I dig that. Um, and to put that in such an artful package that it does with production design, with costume design, with the makeup, with the violence, with the pacing, Man, I, I'm with you, Mitch. This movie is brilliant. It's one of my top five all-time comic book films. Without a question, I I, I, I will take this movie to... Oh, I'm a DC guy where I grew up with Superman, who is you know, tried and true, bright and glorious, you know, as beautiful as a superhero and a paragon as you can get. I'll put this deep, dark, singular you know, tale of redemption and romance to those movies, even though it's apples and oranges like crazy, because, you know, coming into it from the film lens, the art of it backs up the emotions and takeaways of it like crazy. I'm with you. I'm not a super music guy. I don't know all the drops and, and, and the significance of, of artist choice and all that. I do know the history of where Alex O'Barr really went to the eighties with joy division. I didn't do my homework on that, but this soundtrack, and to use what the young kids say, man, this this soundtrack slaps. You know the the the, the cuts they grab of, of of different artists that along the way, and and to have the performance, the almost diegetic music that's in the movie, it, it, you know, just really serves that to add to the grunge of the setting and all that. But I'm with you from a film score standpoint. I love film scores. My goodness, is the number it's the playlist on my iPad before or my iPod before anything else. Uh, Graham Ravel steps up and delivers not just something that is for foreboding and intimidating in the action and horror aspects of this movie, but my goodness, does he turn on the strings for when this movie has to get poignant and he sells and squeezes every drop of emotionality you can get in a deep, dark, scary comic movie. And man, like I said, like I said, I'll end 30 seconds early to say, just what Mitch is saying. This movie is a special thing. And that's not even getting into talking about Brandon Lee and what this movie means for a legacy and for a career and for what this movie, the passion project that was rescued from tragedy to put on screen. This movie is one of the best that's ever been done in this genre. And damn, it is good. Uh, before I go into my five minutes, uh, I just wanted to let Don know because this will probably piss him off in some way. But the, the <laughs> crow, the crow was co-produced by a general, an Australian gentleman named Grant Hill, who received two Oscar nominations in his future life uh, from the crow uh, for best picture for two films Ooh. that Don loves: uh, the Thin Red Line and Tree of Life. <laughs> Shit. That figures. <laughs> oh well. My five minutes. I hate the movie now. No, I, I can't. I can't hate it because of that. Five minutes go, uh, my friend. 
Okay, so uh, I'm not going to say I'm a hater. Uh, I, I say it because, to me, this has the classic uh, student who gets an A-plus on one report and an F on the other. Uh, it balances out to a solid C. Um, so I don't hate the film. I, I actually love the first 45 minutes of this movie. Um, I think that um, you've get you've got this really... Um, groovy, grungy, and to be honest, Australian feeling film. Because Alex Proyas is Australian. A lot of the producers were Australian. You know, when you think of things like, um, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy directed Mad Max. Um, George Miller. George Miller. Uh, you kind of think of those down and dirty um films that just have kind of a an edge to them you know the kind of the kind of a australia ozploitation kind of films you know sure um this definitely has that it has a lot it has a lot going for it the mood you know i think of the crow i just call him the crow uh you know sitting on the roof just playing his guitar in this very gothic grungy horrible detroit <laughs> i don't know why anyone would live or even want to get married there but they do anyway um Excellent stuff. Moody, brilliant atmosphere, gorgeous cinematography, wonderful um, uh, set design and uh, miniature work. You know, uh, it's very it's very comic booky, which is great because I love comic books. I've never been a huge dark comic book fan. I, I, I tend to like the more colorful, positive um, you know, fun comic book stuff, but if it's done just right and not cynical, which is what Marvel and DC kind of did later in their runs as they got dark to be cynical and, and aggro and bro-y, um, you know, if it's done right, it's fine. Uh, the other thing that gives it five stars is this cast of B-movie legends is flipping fantastic. I mean, Ernie Hudson, Michael Wincott, Byling, yeah. David Patrick Kelly, Tony Todd, John Polito. I mean, this is an insane cast of amazing character actors, B-movie legends, horror guys, horror gals, great stuff. My issue is where the F comes in, where the, where the one star 45 minutes comes in, is I think that because they – I think the writers – kind of write themselves in a little bit of a hole. And this might have something to do with the comic book origins, origins, which I'm not totally familiar with, but the problem with the character of the crow is he's virtually unstoppable. Um, and in order to get the plot to move forward, you not only need to have a very bizarre and not very well written or executed a situation in which somehow the crow loses his powers, but doesn't because the crow that comes with him has to die, but it doesn't. Um, but also your main villain, who's very like, you know, uh, you know, theatrical and seems to be smart in terms of running an organization has to do really stupid things to get in situations where he's going to fight the crow. Um, to me, the turning point of the film is the boardroom scene, which actually I saw something on Twitter. Uh, Christopher Nolan actually lifted a lot of shots, shot for shot of the yeah, scene of the crow coming into the boardroom 
uh, with the Joker coming into the boardroom in the Dark Knight. Um, mm. That's neither here nor there. But um, the problem with the film to me is it gets a little silly because it kind of betrays that cool gothic rock star feel and becomes a shoot 'em up and kind of a chase around town battle with swords on the top of a roof of a church kind of thing. It, it, it just feels like it betrays its tone. Um, and I feel like I'm not watching the same film that I got with that first 45 minutes. I feel like they just either ran out of time, ran out of money, ran out of ideas, put themselves in a hole. And unfortunately that kind of ruined the film for me a little bit. So I'm not going to say I hate it because there's aspects of this. I really love. Um, but yeah, in the end, I just kind of thought, oh, it went that direction, huh? Okay, well, well, it's. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd, and that's the end of my five minutes. That is indeed the end of your five minutes. <laughs> Folks, before we get into our big, huge wraparound discussion, please enjoy a short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, folks, welcome back. All right, you got two lovers. You got one medium guy. What do you want to pick on here, Mitch? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that the change in tone, because you had kind of mentioned this before we got to the show, uh-huh. and I, I, I rewatched it again, and I don't, I don't feel the same change in tone that you're describing, but same. I mean, I'm not as I sure first, don't. but I, I don't feel that, and I, but they nail so much, and if there was a film that was able to combine, I, I love that you brought up the cast, because Wincott is is awesome. David Patrick Kelly killer. I love that Candyman is in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just the, one of the best combinations of music and visuals and script. And there are some bad lines. There's some, there are a couple oh, of sure. like, bad deliveries, you know, there's yeah. a few things in there and it kind of just reminds you of, of, of the whole thing, but man, what a work of love. The whole thing is just a, yeah. and, and Brandon Lee's before I say anything else, his, portrayal is just borderline madness and oh, it's so great interesting great. i, I want to talk about brandon lee because well here um, before you talk about brandon lee i'll back mitch on the the tone shift that i i don't see it either i see exactly the kind of escalation you would get in a comic book you know the guy has gone through all the minions he gets to the big boss at the end and shit gets a little louder and a little bigger you know I we've just, seen that in a thousand comic book issues and we've seen it in a thousand comic book movies I just don't see the way this character is written and how he's portrayed as this guy that's suddenly pre-matrix, proto-matrixing it up with guns. <laughs> that just doesn't work you for know, me. You know what I mean? Fu- like he's, Funny you he's say a, that because yeah. Proyas, who directed this movie, would go on to do a Matrix competitor in terms of Dark City, which Dark City. is very middle-of-the-road mixed reception in terms of audience mm-hmm. and critics. So, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. But if I may, can I go you into may. Brandon Lee now? Okay. You may. Well, don't go into Brandon Lee. The man is dead. You know, don't go so into here's, him. Here, well, here's the thing. I want to talk. Okay. Now, I saw this film for the first time the other night. So I don't wow. have like a lot of attachment to Brandon Lee. This is one thing I worried about with 
we actually talked on the ruminations of uh, what the hell? What is it? Red Room. Sorry. Oh, um, Here, we'll just roll that back. Ruminations yeah. from the Red Room. Yeah. Ruminations <laughs> from the Red Room. Sorry about that. Okay, so. Don't uh, say sorry should... about that. He can't cut that together. <laughs> we... <laughs> we... <laughs> just start the sentence again. Good luck. Okay. Well, we um, we talked about putting things on a pedestal, okay? Um, I think let's take a look at another contemporary situation where you had a famous actor or someone who was oh, no. borderline famous. Let's talk about He's Heath Ledger. Got... Okay? Oh, shit. Here he goes. Invoke okay. Heath Ledger. No, no, no. So what I'm saying is, is that uh-huh. – it is an excellent performance, but I think the fervor at the time, led by also the internet being active, um, kind of put that pedestal there, where it kind of said, not only Ooh. is it a good performance, but it's a brilliant performance because he's dead now. You know what I mean? I, no, I, don't, I we, don't know what you mean, because this I, I would be think... brilliant with or without his death. See, that's Just what like I... Ledger. Just like no, Ledger. No, no. And I'm not debating about Ledger. Now, here's the thing with Brandon Lee. I don't have that connection. Like I said, I didn't see it at the time it came out. So I, I wasn't kind of wrapped up in that mythology of Brandon Lee. And, and this kind of exists with James Dean too, and many other stars that died. Fair enough. So I was watching this purely as an acting performance. I wasn't attaching any of the, uh, of the facts that this was going to be his big breakout. This was like his, his epic thing. There was this tragic death. I just watched it from a pure acting perspective i had two thoughts while i was watching the performance Uh i either thought i couldn't tell if it was a brilliant performance of madness or that it was so bad it was good oh dear i don't know so i get him mitch I can't. I, I, I can't. I honestly Did can't. Did you see tell. the part where he pushed Tintin up against the wall and his voice is just shaking with yes. rage? Yes. You know, that moment, it's so. And, yes. And then music cuts out and you can just hear the rain and the oh. water and, and, and Brandon's voice. Yes. Or when he says, Does that hurt when he's on Fun Boy's bed and he's hovering oh. above him after he's shot him? Oh my gosh. It's, uh-huh. well, it's a beautiful performance. I uh, think it's the first one. I think it's the first and, one. And then you see, like, and you combine the romantic. Even though I know those all like you know second layer footage, but just watching him be a romantic lead, even in flashback form, but to reflect on all that and to have little moments take that indomitable figure and freeze him in emotion because of something he remembers or something that spikes him. Shit, man, that is acting. I, I I'm with Mitch here, man. It's yeah, I, I don't. I, I cannot. Ooh, you, but you did the whole it's so bad it's good thing don't don't you dare don't you there's dare. Just, but there's there's aspects of the performance where i'm kind of like that's that's what he went with okay yeah uh, but and the choices fit the story choices fit the book this is also another one of those situations where this is not daniel day lewis you know like you know, yeah, he's getting in the character through loss he's getting in the character through a little bit of face paint a little bit of atmosphere but yeah, he's not method acting his way through this. I'll grant that. The face you know, paint is so primal. It's so oh, like I'm so, getting ready for war. You're damn right it is. That's great. Oh. It fits. And it the scene sense. where he puts it on, I know it, it likens <laughs> to a different, you know, it feels like a, a superhero transformation, but it's mm-hmm. it's just different. It's more carnal because it's 
it, you know, his hands are dirty and scarred up. It's not even pretty. It's the shattered mirror. The music is kicking in the background. Mm. I'll take that to Tony Stark building armor any day of the week. Mm. Uh huh. I, 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 I poked the Marvel shell. I poked the microphone. <laughs> No, I'm, not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it pass. I'm gonna let it pass. I, you tried to do this in private too, and I, I, I don't. <laughs> I did. I'm not. I'm gonna. I destroyed you privately. I'm not gonna destroy you publicly. So let's not just move on. Oh, <laughs> bitch, please. No. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Mitch. You want to talk about editing? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I just, I just really, you know, and again, kind of from a layman's perspective, the editing is really kind of frantic sometimes. Sure, but just enough so that you're not overwhelmed and the cuts between the current day of the black and white and blues to the warmth of the memories that he's experiencing like that stuff is just i i think communicates I the whole yeah the, the, the neon lit so, color of the memories yeah. is a nice contrast to the monotoneness or the the uh, what's the word for it the uh it's the Zack snyder word the uh, the monochromatic <laughs> present you know <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you up to the point where that boardroom scene happens, and I think it betrays that oh, aesthetic. That, gosh, I really do. No I don't think it feels the same. It's kind of um, I know it just doesn't feel the same after that. Uh, and I, they set up so much style. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Um, it, like you're saying, it's it's frenetic. It's kinetic. It's it has this great feeling. It's very unique. It's stylish. It has something that even today you don't see. It, it's uh-huh. very unique today. You could watch this today and be like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I yeah, haven't this, seen anything like that. This it movie just, holds up, man. Like, does big time. Oh, man. It really does. But, like I said, I think my, my thing goes to, to all of it, from the writing to the editing to the appearance. I just think at one point they stopped doing what they were doing and go in a different direction. It's a major tonal shift for me. Um, So, so I agree with you. Like the, you know, another movie uh, that I actually have the same exact feeling for. Okay. I want to hear this comp. It is drive. Has anyone seen drive? Yeah. Ryan Gosling. The first 45 minutes. I think that's one of the coolest fucking films. I've ever seen. And then the last 45 minutes, I'm like, Oh, yeah. It turned into this. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. My That's my problem with the crow. I feel I, like I, it's two different movies. I, I I see the roots of the comparison you're making because Drive does kind of just turn and you know it's. I know you're a Gosling guy, but it's not the most gravitating performance in the world. I think. No. I think. All right. I, speaking of gravitating performances, I think that's where the same so-called shift you're seeing stays grounded or doesn't fly off the rails is because of Brandon Lee. I think Brandon Lee stays that tortured soul, stays stays that helpful, heroic, you know, um He gets guardian. quippy though. He gets quippy. He does. He does. But towards but, the but, end he was not sure. quippy before. And, and that oh, last that last forty five minutes he's no, 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 no. He's, he's, he's quippy he's in the quippy from, he's quippy from the first murder to the last murder. He's no, he has, with the guys he's taken down. He has some lines, but like <laughs> lines he has, are quips. Like, no, no, no. He has like a couple of like dark 
like yeah it's line readings but then like he's he's doing like oops that hurt shucks you know like it turns into quips it turns into jokey quips and like i said i don't mind that with a tony stark because that's consistent with the tone this the the crow kind of becomes like this quippy jokester and before he before he's on a roof just jamming out some fucking killer riffs on a roof yeah but he but he overbalances that to the very end with the I need to take care of the people who take care of me, whether it's right, true, yeah. girl or his departed ex, departed fiance. Like and, and I will, that I never will. goes away. And that saves me from quippiness. And I, and I will and I will say this and this may transition a little bit into um, Mitch's love of music. OK, um, one thing, even though I did not like the tonal shift for me, the one thing I did love is the final battle on the roof. Uh-huh. Uh, between Michael Wincott and Brandon Lee with the swords, um, the music selection, uh, the score, uh, is actually very low-key and angelic instead of being very pomp and circumstance. And I really love that. I was like, yeah. what a great artistic yes. choice. Because it, it 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 almost adds more gravity to it because sure. it's almost like you're seeing this kind of, I don't know, this... Yeah. heavenly battle you know like it's right. it's people that don't belong on this earth you know they're just yeah, evil no, you're and right good and all that you're right in a different right. movie they pump up like a lalo schifrin level of like danger music you know it would it w- they would overamp that and they don't yeah and that's that where great. i don't Mitch, hop in and talk some more well i i think that that's one where one of the places where i see i i don't see your idea of the tonal shift right. because of something like that it's still that moody artistic stylistic yes, great moment and where no someone else would have chosen something pumped up they went in a, a completely different direction that is in keeping with the beginning and, and the rest of the well thing. i mean it's i i'm not going to say it's a complete abandonment of the entire theme of the entire thing because I, i'm separating it into halves because i'm saying 45 and 45 it's easy for me to see sure. a breaking point is there moments in that last 45 where they stick to the tone yes i'm just saying in general Okay. It totally betrays that first 45 minutes where it's very totally consistent. Like, I feel like the first 45 minutes is almost a film in itself in that it is confident, original, stylish. And then I think it takes choices that makes it a little bit more generic, makes huh. it a little bit more, um, you know. And yes, that music portion, I mentioned it because that stood out to me. I went, oh, that's cool. That feels like the first 45 minutes, but that's a two minute section of 45 minutes that I felt mm. betrayed the original theme of the film. Oh man. Mitch, tell us some more about the music. You come from that level. Let's hear some more. Well, I, 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 for one, I loved the, the integration of the live acts performing. Like at the time yeah. the, the film came out and the industrial thing that was going on, you have uh, my life with the thrill kill cult medicine. Those performances were making the world real. And yeah. in a way that I, I think you can't get unless you have a live performance. And it, those were live performances, like the the recordings and the, the soundtrack are not those same performances. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really fantastic. And I think you hit on something about with Graham and the strings, the romance oh, and the amazing. longing that is communicated with that stuff. The way that he does it is really great. And it's one of the best love themes, I think, of all time. Um, I, I put that soundtrack on the score rather all mm-hmm. the time. I love it. Right there with And you. then um, 
I just and from can't such help. an unassuming place because Graham Ravel before and after has not done that much since. But not really. Man, did he? <laughs> man, did he nail that one? I don't. I mean, um, he's done a Ains- lot of stuff though. I mean, oh no, he's prolific. But the the height he got there never yeah. been matched. Gotcha. I tried to to follow his work after, and I, it never did reach quite those heights yeah. again. But again, it, it might be the influence of the perfect storm that was that That's film. Um, Jane Seabury's the the it can't rain all the time. The heartbeat of the drum and the bass is a little too on the nose. Okay, but it still gets there. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's got that thud thud. Yeah, thud, thud. yeah, it brings you in, but too much. And speaking of the soundtracks, like the the musical soundtrack, not the score. Even though I just saw this movie for the first time, um, you know, four days ago or whatever, um, I had the soundtrack for this and The Crow City of Angels. I had that soundtrack on CD. So I was in touch with with the music of this film because, like you said, I mean, this is like a murderer's row of like some amazingly diverse acts, too. I mean, like we've got The Cure. Stone Temple Pilots, but then you got Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Violent Femmes, yep. Rollins Bands, Pantera, mm-hmm. you know, The Jesus and Mary Chain. And Crow City of Angels says the same thing. You got Iggy Pop and Hole, and then you got right. Bush and Corn. You know, it's like very uh, strange. Um, mixed PJ Harvey and then some yeah. rappers. And so very eclectic, but, but suitable to the film. I, I never felt that the musical choices ever shifted. Um, there is less needle drops in that last 45 minutes that I had a problem with than there is at the beginning. Okay. But, need, need to say, but that is a, a monumental soundtrack because even for, like, you know if a soundtrack is good when you haven't even seen the film and you have the soundtrack. That's how cool it is, you know? That's right. So Now, Mitch, I'm not that I'm trying to squeeze two shows into one here a little bit. Did you ever see the sequel? I've seen anything with the the, the words of the crow. Yeah. I've read uh, more of the comic books and novels than I would care to admit. I was lucky enough to meet James Abar at a con once. Look at you. And was super kind. Um, and it was it was a, it was a real thrill for me because again, it's one of my favorites. I loved the book before the film came out, yeah. and then the, I the film really just drove it home for me. And I'm now, an eternal fan. You get to be the guy of the panel here because I have not gone back to. You read the graphic novel. I think I flipped through it a thousand years ago, but I don't, I, I don't know it now. Do you feel I mean, other than the eighties setting that you said was a, was a difference and shifted to the nineties of when they made the movie? Does it, do you feel like it's a good match, a good adaptation? I think it's, it's a great adaptation, which kind of makes me sad that they've tried so many years to, to reboot it. And oh, they want to do it again. They, I was reading but I understand that the progress. And, oh my gosh. That they have played hot potato with that project for mm-hmm. the better part of two decades. Yeah. I hope they don't. I hope they um, don't too. I would too. really rather they do a an, another one of the stories from the mythos. There were some really great uh, female crows, yeah. for lack of a better term, that were fantastic in the comics, and I wish wish they would do that. Now, yeah, did you I, see? The, I yeah. think I same question I started with. Did you see Crow City yeah. of Angels in '96? I, I did see it. I saw it at the theater. Me too. Uh, at the time, I was not a fan. Yeah. Um, I really wasn't. I wasn't impressed. I didn't like the color. I didn't like the, the cuts. I didn't. Yeah. It just seemed. Just and I think it, some of it was kind of forced. But I agree. In in later years, I've I've grown to appreciate it a little more. Me too. Maybe because some of the other stuff was so bad. I've yeah. never <laughs> seen it. I, I've never seen um, The Crow of Salvation, The Crow Wicked Prayer, even though there's some good casts in those. I mean. Sure. Salvation uh, was. 
decent. Salvation has Kirsten Dunst, Fred Ward. Uh, Wicked Prayer has Dennis fucking Hopper in it. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, holy shit, Danny Trejo, Edward Furlong. Um, Mitch, but- would you recommend him deep diving into some of these sequels, even if they're direct-to-video style stuff? It's a great property. And if you like the idea of, uh, you know, the bad guys getting their comeuppance, mm-hmm. it's a great series. But yeah, they're, they're. How about the show? How about the show Stairway to Heaven with Mark Dacascus? Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. There's, there's, there's a show. What? There's not a show. <laughs> yes, there is. There is your answer. There was a two, there was a two season show with uh-huh. Mark Dacascus from Canada called The Crow Stairway to Heaven. It had 22 episodes. I'm sorry, you're cutting out. I can't, oh. I can't hear you. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Mitch, you run the audio of this shit. Come on, you hear him. Yeah, I'm going through a tunnel. Huh? <laughs> the house is going through a tunnel. Yeah. But yeah, if you get a chance, City of Angels is definitely worth a watch. Like I, I said, so at too. the time, I was probably just too attached to Brandon Lee and, and the original, uh, but it was a solid flick. Okay. Okay. I think people find those. I mean, like for instance, I'm a big Hellraiser fan. Um, I like the Hellraiser films. Like I can watch Hellraiser six and be like, I really love that film. And people would look at you and go, what? Like, I think if you're into an idea, you know, you can watch that idea in different forms and different states of production, you know, big budget versus, you know, and, and find value in it. So I, you know, if, if you're saying that, you know, since you love the first one, you still like that idea going through. Mm-hmm. I say, why the hell not try it out? I, I have, you know, I think Stairway to Heaven's on HBO Max as well. Or not Stairway to Heaven, sorry. Um, City of Angels, I think, is on HBO Max yeah. as well. So I'll I mean, look it up here quick. Let me see what I can find here while we're I mean, it's hard to track down on disc anymore. It's gotten kind of pricey, strangely. Yeah. It's and one even of those Blu-ray had ones. a really bad just stereo transfer. There was no like yeah. 5.1. There was nothing. So, but check it out. If nothing else, uh, Iggy Pop's performance is really it, yeah. Early. Iggy Pop is is a, it's a toast. It, it is indeed on HBO Max. So good, good spying, Will. Oh, cool. Oh, uh, yeah. So I you know I definitely want to give. I might give that okay. a shot. I, you know, right. So what the hell? Um, so uh, I'll throw a fun little nugget out there just because I learned this today and in the years of history of trying to chase this film. I did not know until today. I was today years old, whatever meme I'm going to put here, that future John Wick filmmaker Chad Stahelski was the physical stunt double for Brandon Lee completing the scenes that they were able to not complete or fill in. Really? Yeah. yeah he was. I read that. I read that yesterday too. That's interesting. Not bad. Very cool thing. Can you like Mitch? I'm just curious and, and maybe Don too, uh-huh. but um, I wasn't necessarily looking out for it. I could kind of notice a little bit here and there, but do you watch the film and kind of know, okay, that's not Brandon Lee. Like, do you know those scenes? Can you feel that? Oh, I do. I ignore them. I, I do. I, I ignore I, them, too. I really I'm just happy they're denial. there, you know? Yeah. It's I not, know it's not intrusive. It's not intrusive no. at all. It's actually very well done. I just yeah. was curious if you can tell, because some things you can yeah. definitely tell, because, but then there's some other ones where you're like, oh, shit, that was, it's kind of like the whole thing with Gladiator and, um, Oliver Reed, yeah. where you're like, yeah. oh shit, that was the CGI. That was an Oliver Reed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, that, that they do that so well. It's directed so well. They do mask well, especially they do mask it well, especially considering the limitations of 1994 effects. Like, yeah, this could have easily looked like Spawn three years later, where it's like <laughs> really cartoonishly bad special effects. And like I said at the, towards the beginning of my rant, this movie, you could you you saw it. You can pop this in, and it 
holds up. You don't need a cell phone. You don't need big things to show up to be, oh, it's a, it's a modern film or a, a, a time capsule to the 90s. It, it does just fine being the, being the comic book noir that it is. And I, I'm a big fan of, despite my Marvel love, I, I'm a big fan of practical effects. I, I love yeah, miniatures. I love, Matt, yeah. I love matte paintings. Yeah. I love these, you know, the set redressing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was just a, um, they filmed a lot of horror films in North Carolina. They did a Hellraiser yeah. 3 there as well, I believe. So I think there's probably like a city block that they use, kind of like a back <laughs> lot like they have. Yeah. But the fact that it's so, um, you know, and when you when you study these kind of more B-movie pictures in terms of production, you, you know you know they're using the same street seven times for the scenes, but the fact that yeah. they redress it so that you know that they're driving the car down different streets yeah. is excellent. It's very... It covers up for where the budget lacks a little bit, and but also as I've explained in other podcasts, I, I like I like the ambition versus you know, but by, by, by stretching that budget as far as you can, true, uh, you know that that will win me over more than a polished CGI. I'm with you there. Closing thoughts, fellas. Mitch, uh, I defer to you. You are the I, guest. My last closing thought is I think from the beginning of the movie, one of the things that sets it apart is the moment of his resurrection is not glorious and beautiful. It's mm-hmm. clumsy and sad. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, it, it just, I think it really sets the whole thing up. It's not a moment of triumph. It's, it's horror and confusion for mm-hmm. him. And the the movie just take, just really takes off from there. Yeah. And, and I it, love it. Love it's, it, love it. It, it inhales and exhales with that sadness constantly. And I, I dig that. Like, because I know Will's dropping the idea of quips or taking joy in, in, in his path, despite the sadness, but I feel like the sadness never goes away. But that's, that's the, the big quotient that chops him down. No matter what is I'm still dead and I'm still losing. I've still lost what I've lost. I can save what I can save. I can recoup when I can recoup. But at the end of the day, I'm going to crawl right back into that grave. And Mm -hmm. that reverberation of emotionality is enough for me to not make this, you know, a hero wins, hero goes off in the sunset movie. Mm. Yeah, sure. I I, I feel you on that one. Um, You know, it it also could be something that I need to revisit. You know, it's definitely worth watching. Like, I didn't sit through it and go... Well, I saw that. I'm done. Like, you know, there's enough interesting material. I also feel like there's probably a lot of stuff in the background or the set design or, you know, even that opening shot where it kind of goes through the cityscape to get to the the uh, the crow's, I just call him the crow, the, the crow's home where the murder happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's things I can look at and see and and explore. So it's definitely a film worth exploring. And and the other thing is no one ever said in, in life that, you know, we've all done this with music. We've done this with movies. We've done this with books, you know, your, your initial take on it. If you watch it 10 years later, or, or in Mitch's case, you know, he watches it every year. I'm sure he gets a new appreciation. He finds something new about it. Like it never has to be the end all be all your final decision. So maybe this is how it, it, it hit me now. But maybe I'll watch it again, and especially with your guys' thoughts, and go, okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this is different. So I, I got an open mind. I'm willing to see it again. I dig it. I dig it. I'll take that optimism. Will, you want to hit us with the closer? 
All right. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. I think we've decided to abandon the poll because we've never posted one. We probably never will. I know. Uh, but I am interested in hearing your thoughts because I want to know if, if um, uh, The Crow has a lot of lovers. Uh, it's tough to find a hater in this world for The Crow. So anyone agree with me, please? Or, you know, do you agree with Mitch? And do you agree with Don? Um, so let us know. Please talk to us. Um, we love your captive audience. We love your social media participation. I will gladly talk to you and fight with you on the Twitter. Uh, Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts, indeed, and more wonderful guests. This is uh, Mitch, I believe, is our second guest on the show. I believe if second by I, the time this publishes. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I probably their second guest. So unless unless Mitch me. kicks this can down the road where he's like the fifth guest. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? He's the editor, so I we know, can blame right? him if it doesn't make any sense if someone's listening to this in 2026. Uh, uh-huh. And this is Cinephile, Cinephile Fit episode 350. And we're talking about, hey, Mitch was our second guest for The Crow. Uh, that's his fault. All available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Mitch, thanks for being here tonight. You have to have, you have the floor now. Tell us where people can find you, your work, your show, all the things. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for having me. You can check out uh, my show, uh, Ruminations from the Red Room. You can get it on iTunes and Spotify and all the same places these guys were just mentioning. And come visit us at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. It is the place to be. A lot of great guys there, and you'll find some like-minded folks. Um, so come check it out. Sweet. Well, the two of us are going to murder you. Simple as that. Now, if you could, now if I'll you come, come back from, the, I'll come back from the grave, and then for the first forty-five minutes, I'm going to be really cool and edgy and play my guitar, and then I'm going to quip you to death in the last forty-five. Minutes. You know what, though, we get a year though without you, and the hay we can make in that year. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for a great show. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com.